are you too good for Jesus? Well, hopefully today we'll be able to answer that question. We're in this study in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bible, you might want to open up to the book of Mark. We're starting the second chapter. And so far, what we've seen in the book of Mark is that Jesus' popularity has just spread. I mean, it's spread throughout, spreading throughout all of Judea, Galilee. Uh, for sure, he's from Capernaum, went to Galilee. He's done all these miracles. And, but, but the amazing thing is that he's, he's, even though he's so popular teaching, that's why he came, we found that out. Uh, he's not teaching and preaching in a temple. He's walking around, he's doing a lot of healing and uh, performing miracles. A lot, a lot of people were just amazed by what he was doing. But there were some people who were sort of turned off by what he was doing as well. Well, today we're going to hit a couple of stories. They're two of the most popular stories in the entire New Testament. One's about a paralytic and uh, the other is about uh, a tax collector. Uh, his name is Levi. And, and both of them are in desperate need of experiencing the hope and the healing power of the gospel. And at the very end of these two stories comes this amazing statement that says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners and to call them to repentance. Luke adds that part about repentance at the end. And so have you ever stopped to really think about that? Are you really too good for Jesus? So my hope and prayer is that as we go through these couple of stories, that you'll be able to identify with one of these groups. You'll be able to identify maybe with a paralytic. You might be able to identify with Levi. I mean, raised, say, in the church, had all that religious background. Father was probably a priest. And now he's a, he's a very successful but not well-respected business guy. He's sort of done his own thing. Uh, we're going to look at the crowd. We're going to look at people who love his teaching. We're going to look at the disciples. Or we're going to look at a number of these groups. And, and they spread the entire socioeconomic uh, spectrum from very, very poor, uh, disabled, to, to very rich and infamous, so to speak. You're going to have the religious elite. You're going to have those who are in the crowd. And my prayer is that uh, you'll be able to identify one of these and that we can all become a little bit more like Jesus as we are confronted with this text. Well, let me pray for us as we start. Uh, Lord, um, we all do come needy. And what is clear, none of us are really well. Uh, we need the great physician. So by your Holy Spirit, open your word to our hearts and minds and ears and transform our lives so that we become uh, more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me show you how these uh, couple of stories fit in the whole. So the whole book of Mark is trying to introduce us to Jesus, who Jesus is, and it's going to drive to the point where he is crucified on the cross. And so he wants us to, help, to understand why in the world would Jesus, the Son of God, have to die on a cross? And, and why would anybody want him dead? So that's where we are right now. So he's incredibly popular as he speaks and heals. And, but there's already a contingency. And we're going to see five stories starting today in Mark 2, verse 1 through, through chapter 3. Five stories back to back to back to back to back. And they're filled with intrigue and controversy and opposition. And yet at the same time, you see these wonderful stories of people experiencing the hope and healing power of the gospel. The first story is a story of, of poor and broken 
paralytic. Let's read his story. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Well, which is easier to say? Uh, to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk. But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your pallet and go home. And he rose up immediately, picked up his pallet and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this before. So we see faith expressed in so many different ways. First of all, we, we see it in Jesus right off the bat. We found out in Mark chapter 1, his primary calling, he says it very specifically, his primary calling was to preach, to preach and to teach. And Jesus, even though with all the crowds and all the healing, he's right back at it again, preaching and teaching, very faithful uh, to the priority that God gave him to do. And so he went from his hometown, Capernaum, and he went over to Galilee. He had this wonderful ministry in Galilee. Now he's, he's back in Capernaum, and, and the crowds follow him. The crowds arrive, and most scholars say that he's probably in Peter's home at this particular point, you think. And, and we find out immediately, what's he doing in Peter's home? He's preaching to them again. And what a beautiful sight when you think about it. You're sitting there and you're, you're hearing the authority, uh, not just like a, a scribe or a priest, but with authority. He's opening the scriptures uh, to them, but not, not just doing it in the temple. He's very accessible to people. He's wel welcoming people into Peter's home. Uh, and we see him uh, so faithful uh, to carry out God's will for his life. But we also see the faith of another subgroup of people. And, and I, think, I think it's put in the Gospel of Mark right here because Jesus in Mark 1 has just called four disciples to follow him. And now he wants to point out these four, I'm going to call them cot carriers, uh, because the word that's used is of a poor man's bed, a, a cot, a, a poor man's bed. And so these four cot carriers have a friend who's a paralytic, who's um, Incapacit totally incapacitated, so they desperately wanted uh, to get this man, their friend, uh, to Jesus. And I think Jesus was showing the four newly called apostles or disciples, look, this is what you should be doing. When I'm telling you to be fishers of men, you should have the same attitude as the four cot carriers, that no matter what it took, they were going to get their friend uh, to Jesus. And yet the amazing thing, even though he was being carried, they go to the house and it says people were standing at the door and notice the crowd. And Mark will use the term the crowd throughout. And Jesus is always away from the crowd. He, he doesn't turn them away, but he, he doesn't devote all of his attention to the crowd. He calls disciples, 
but the crowd is in the, always in the background. So I want you to, to listen to that because the crowd, they don't even make room for the four cot carriers and the man on the pallet, the, the paralytic. Uh, they love his teaching. They love the healing. I mean, they're there for that. They're all into his teaching. They're all into his healing. But, but there they are. Won't even make room uh, for the cot carriers. But they're not deterred. So they go up on the roof and they start digging through the mud and through the branches and through the twigs, through the moss. And you can just imagine him standing in Peter's home and, you know, dirt starts to fall, branches start to fall. And all of a sudden this, you know, these twines or these ropes begin to lower this paralyzed man on this, on this cot. Um, just one individual, all he wants is a healing touch from, from Jesus. And so think of the, think of the faith of this paralytic. I mean, think about you coming here this morning. You're probably pretty protective. There are a lot of things about you that you don't want other people to know. You don't want other people to see. We hold those tightly to our bosom. And yet, here's this paralytic, and you've got to understand, in, at, in the day that this was written, anybody who was born with a defect or sick it was because they had, it was definitely because they had sinned. I mean, the disciples even believed that. It was because of sin that they were in this condition. So here this paralytic, in the sight of all, allows himself to be lowered down in front of everybody. Uh, see, Jesus, if we want people to experience the hope and healing power of the gospel, we've got to realize that Jesus absolutely is for everybody, even poor uh, paralytics. So here are these cot carriers lowering him down, and the paralytic wants to be healed, and yet he gets something far superior. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge his paralysis. He just says, Son, your sins are forgiven and he grants him eternal life. This, this poor down and outer receives not just physical healing, but eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want you to notice what happens in this passage, in this miracle, that Jesus elevates his claim far beyond the offering of what people were anticipating in this messianic age. In the Messianic age, according to the prophets, I mean, when the Messiah was to come, there was going to be healing so that lepers would be healed. We saw that. Those who are blind would receive their sight. The deaf and dumb would be able to speak and to hear. The lame would be able to walk. Now, Jesus did all of those, but he superseded what the prophets envisioned that would happen by the Messiah, certainly what the religious elite envisioned, that Jesus actually had the authority to forgive sin. And this is what blew their minds. He offered the very reality itself of forgiveness of sin. And notice too that this was not done in the temple. This was done in a home. 
It wasn't done by a priest. It was done by a carpenter. It wasn't done with sacrifice. It was done merely at the breath of his word. So as with the paralytic, no matter how sordid or sinful our life has been, Jesus can look at us and say, rise up, take up your pallet, and walk. And, and I think the beauty of this particular miracle is that it was a paralytic, and he does say walk. And Paul takes this exact same metaphor throughout his epistles, and he challenges us when we put our faith and trust in Christ to walk in newness of life. So that same metaphor is carried throughout the entire New Testament to walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, Paul says in Romans 6, that we too might walk in newness of life. But notice the scribes and the Pharisees. Notice, notice how they resisted um, they were questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive but God alone? So from the very beginning, probably sent from Jerusalem uh, to discredit Jesus because what he, what he was doing was taking all the power away from the temple. It was all the power away from the religious elite. But Jesus was bringing everything that the temple could do right into the living room of people's homes and into their lives. And so they were saying, you know, how can you do this? And Jesus immediately responds and he calls himself, hopefully you saw that, um, the son of man. And when he calls himself the son of man, he was telling these religious elites who are so critical of him, I am claiming to be God himself. There was no question here. He used the title that Daniel used in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. So notice, please, even though Jesus offers the hope and healing power of the gospel, he leaves no room whatsoever for neutrality. He claims to be the Son of Man, God's unique representative who has authority to forgive sins that Isaiah makes real clear only God can do that. Every single one of us, I believe, like I love Zach's testimony. It was an awesome testimony because God healed him from paralysis. And you think about it, uh, every single person is crippled by sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And every one of us at some point in our lives have been crippled by it with the tentacles of sin wrapped around our heart, expressing itself in many, many different ways, whether it be weakening our soul or crippling our spirit or becoming a heavy weight too heavy to bear, whether it be in the context of a home, whether it be context at school, whether it be the context uh, with, with, with our neighbors. But the good news is all it takes is one word from Jesus to heal us. One word sets the paralytic free. And here's the crowd again. They were just amazed at the whole thing. It says in verse 12, we, we've never seen anything like this before. And I think anytime you hear a testimony like Zach's, you, you see a paralytic being set free from the bonds of sin and death. I mean, that's exactly what I experienced December uh, 31st, 1971, when Jesus set me free from the paralysis of my heart 
You know, the very first thing I noticed was not only my tongue, where I used to damn God, almost every sentence I was damning God, um, but the, the biggest thing that I noticed immediately was God took away the, the tentacles of paralysis where, where I just had disdain and anger and even hatred toward my father. And he replaced that, released me of those binds and replaced it with love. I remember after I've become a Christian, going home, sitting down with my dad, telling him about what happened and how Jesus has transformed my life. And for the first time that I could remember, I'm sure I did as a little kid, but I didn't remember, for the first time, looking my dad in my eyes and telling him how much I loved him. And the only way I could say that is because Jesus had released the tentacles of hate and anger and bitterness and resentment in my life from my heart and allowed me to love somebody that was, I thought at one point, almost impossible uh, to love in so many different areas. Jesus was threatening the very fabric of the religious elite, saying that this could happen in people's hearts. It didn't have to happen in the temple. But when the gospel is presented clearly, you cannot remain neutral. So he launches into a second story. That's the story of the paralytic. Now, the story of Levi is a little bit different. You might equate Levi with someone who sort of grew up in the church, who grew up knowing all the right stuff, and just sort of walked away from it at all, abandoned it all, just pursued everything else in life, left Jesus in the dust, and it's sort of his, his coming to Jesus moment where he returns uh, to the Lord. That's Levi. He went out beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. He's well known. I mean, he, they even know his dad. He maybe was a, even a priest from the Levitical priesthood in the area. And his son, Levi, was sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and the disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous. I came to call sinners and Luke adds, to repentance. I've got to tell you something. I've got to give you a little bit of Old Testament uh, background so you really understand what's going on. This is a Jew. Levi's a Jew from the Levitical, from the tribe of Levi, named after his dad's family, named after his position. And uh, in the Old Testament, going back to Isaiah, there was something that would happen when Messiah would come. When Messiah would come in the Messianic age, there would be a lavish feast of aged wine, rich foods, no expense spared, and there would be a, a, it would be a day of comfort, a day of unprecedented salvation, a day of victory. And so just like the Jews in the first century, they were anticipating the Messiah coming because they, think how many years they had been oppressed, how many years they had been in captivity. They were longing for the day, waiting for the day that Messiah would set them free from this and, and usher in this incredible banquet. And um, you think of the oppression of Rome and and this is what they're expecting, okay? So now this carpenter arrives 
from Nazareth, Nazar, uh, from Shoot Town, from Root Town. And he is claiming to be God's unique representative on earth, the Son of Man. And this would be the one who is going to initiate, initiate the Jewish kingdom banquet. But the amazing thing is that Jesus doesn't have this banquet in Jerusalem, in the temple. Now he's having it in the home of a tax collector. It's the very same literary structure as, as the first story. Same structure as the paralytic which is basically Jesus is welcoming those far outside of the realm of what was anticipated. He's shocking everything. And he's inviting people from without into the bonds of life change and fellowship. So let's look at this faith expressed by Levi. So he goes out again beside the sea, and here's the crowd again. Again, follow it in, in Mark. You'll, you'll uh, be intrigued. In other words, I'm saying God doesn't want us to just be part of the crowd. He wants us to be disciples. He wants us to be fully devoted learners and followers of Jesus who walk and live like him. That's what a disciple is fully devoted follower who learn and who walk exactly like Jesus, walk and talk like Jesus walks and talks and lives, okay? So here, Jesus is back out and, and people are, are listening to him preach and teach. He's still doing what he was called to do. And he sees Levi, the son of, of Alphaeus. And I think it's such credibility to the witness of the gospel itself. Why in the world, if somebody was making this up, would they include the, the story, number one, but why in the world would they include even this guy's father's name that people would know and be able to bear witness to this is true or not true? And so uh, Jesus is focusing on what he came to do. Uh, probably the people from Peter's house, when they left, you know, they just, wherever Jesus went, he went. They, they followed him to the seashore, and there's this toll crossing. Now, again, in, whether it be Judea, whether it be Galilee, these, these uh, buffer states of Rome, I mean, they were heavily taxed. I mean, they were taxed for everything you can possibly imagine they were taxed under. Uh, transit tax, poll tax, uh, living tax, road tax, you name it, they were taxed. And uh, they were under the domination of Rome. And anybody who was a tax collector was looked upon, rabbis called them thieves and robbers. So they were not highly respected people. And the amazing thing about this whole thing is that this tax collector is a Jew. This tax collector's name is Levi from the tribe, Old Testament tribe of Levi who were dedicated to serve in the sanctuary those of the tribe of Levi were to have no possessions. They were to have no business, no distractions. The Lord alone was to be their inheritance and they were to live off the offerings of their countrymen. Now here's this guy, Levi, who has rejected everything. And I think they add the, the name of his dad because it was so embarrassing to his dad. He left everything his whole life stood for. And now here, here he is, you know, a very successful, wealthy, um, 
not respected, obviously, uh, but a very influential individual in the Roman Empire, the up-and-coming empire. And Malachi says this, in Malachi chapter 2, chapter 3, you can go back and read it, it says, when the Messiah comes, he's talking about the, the whole tribe of Levi, just throwing everything off to the side and living in unrestraint. And then in chapter 3 of Levi, he says, I'm sorry, in chapter 3 of Malachi, he says, when the Messiah comes, he is going to be to them a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap for the house of Levi. And the amazing thing is the fulfillment of Isaiah of Malachi's prophecy takes place right here. When the Messiah comes, uh, Jesus goes right up to Levi now think about it. He goes right up to Levi and he says, follow me. That's all he had to say. Levi, had, Levi, from his religious experience, had it all put together. He didn't need anything else. When Jesus said, follow me, he sets aside everything and he follows uh, Jesus. But notice the tax collectors and as they're sitting there with with Levi now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they see that Jesus now is in Levi's home with other tax collectors, with other notorious sinners. They're feasting together. And those uh, scribes say, why? Why is he eating with them? So here's a house filled with outcasts being led by one who really should have known better the whole time. Levi should have known better all along. But Jesus sits down with them and uh, he, he feels extremely comfortable sitting down with them and rec- is reclining at table and eating with them. And I think you know, with the Saturate Conference coming up, you know, I think, boy, would it be that we as a church would really learn from Jesus you know, a lot of times what we call outreach is really more of an in-drag. We want to drag people in where they absolutely don't feel comfortable in a place where they don't really even have any obligation to be uh, or slightest inclination to want to be. And uh, Jesus is saying, no, no, you go and insert your life into the lives of others where they are. You, it's much better to live incarnationally and live where they're living. Be in their homes. Reach to them where they are. Make a difference there. And then awesome, man, if they come, awesome. That's awesome, but it's incarnational living. And that's the whole Saturate Conference. The Saturate Conference is saying we need to live incarnationally where people who are sick (laughs) need the great physician. That's the whole point. And then notice what happens as Jesus eats, a transformation occurs. The table which once served as a table of extortion and greed is now transformed into a holy banquet of messianic followers, exactly as Isaiah had prophesied. And the only problem is uh, when when the Messiah arrived and the feast commenced, to the scribes, the guest list was not at all <laughs> what they had anticipated. It was all the wrong people. 
And that's why they say, why is he eating with tax collectors and, and sinners? And that's when Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we've looked at Jesus and the paralytic. We've looked at Jesus and, and the tax collector. The real question is, what about Jesus and you? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus a rabbi? Uh, yeah, you might think, yeah, man, what an incredible teacher. He, he's a, an awesome person. But see, he's far more than a rabbi. Uh, he teaches with authority that rabbis can never teach with. Well, is, is Jesus to you a prophet? He, he's far more than just a prophet. Because, I mean, he did the works of a prophet like in Isaiah or Jeremiah. Uh, he, he did the works. He did the miracles. He did the miracles of a prophet. But there was no prophet who could ever forgive people for their sin. Well, how about a king? Was Jesus a king? Yeah, he was David's heir, no doubt about it. But he was more than David's heir. He claimed to be the son of man. He was the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. So do you believe that Jesus is God? Jesus clearly, if you were at that day and time, in that context, you would know that Jesus was clearly claiming to be God. You know the amazing thing about Jesus as he goes, as we look through the book of Mark? Jesus never allows anyone to water down his claims. They're confronted if anybody tries to water down the complaints of Jesus. So what then, what does Jesus offer? If you are here crippled by sin, disabled by sin, I hope you know there is absolutely no habit, there is no sin, there is no addiction, there's no generational sin, no matter how powerful uh, you think it might have, the grip of it might have on your life, there is none that Jesus can't look at you and say to you, rise up, take up your pallet, and now walk in newness of life. You might be here, and that's the paralytic, and you might be here and you might better identify with Levi that you're a religious person, you have a religious past, your name might be even named after a religious character, Matthew or John or Peter or Paul or Thomas. You might be named after a biblical character, but you have run so hard and so fast after the world and away from Jesus. Instead of pursuing Jesus, you've pursued materialism, you've pursued educational success, you've run up the corporate ladder, uh, you fell into compromise, you've shamed yourself, you've shamed your parents. And, and all I would say is to you, O Levi, the good news is that Jesus Christ wants to step right into your world. Jesus wants to come up to you in your toll booth, whatever that looks like. He wants to come to you and invite you and call you into the very center of his kingdom. And he wants you not only to walk in newness of life, but he wants to give you the victory and the purpose and the promise that, that you've thought you should have had, maybe perhaps from the time that you were raised in a Christian home. Place your faith and trust in Christ um, and follow Jesus.
in Revelation, we're told that, that Jesus, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And the beautiful thing about that is when you do, your name will also be changed from Levi, the vengeful killer, the one who stole from Yahweh, to Matthew. This is Matthew, the gift of God. So what do I do? To enter into life with Christ and to walk in newness of life, it does not mean that you have to take a pilgrimage somewhere. It doesn't mean that you have to sing so many songs or go up temple steps. There's no priest to beg permission from. There's no protocol to take, no songs to sing. All it takes is the willingness on your part to allow your paralysis to be exposed to God. Not hidden. Your paralysis needs to be exposed to God. That's what we call confession. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to heal you, to cleanse you, to heal you. It's only when you lie in your helplessness on the pallet, near naked, exposed before the merciful and forgiving Savior, that your life can be made well. It's as the old hymnist said, there is nothing in your hands that you can bring. It's only to the cross that you can cling. And Jesus will say to you, follow me. Let me give you a couple of cautions. Number one, the caution of isolation. Uh, as believers, may God forbid that we become like Pharisees or scribes and pride ourselves in our ability to remain separate and protect ourselves from the world. That's exactly who needs the hope and healing power of the gospel. It's the people on the beach. It's the Peter, people in Peter's house. It's the people along the way. It's the people on the side of the road that desperately need to hear. So that's the danger of isolation. There's another danger that we see in this passage, and that's the danger of insulation. Don't be part of the crowd. I mean, the crowd always wants to be with Jesus. They, they're always ready for another sermon. They want to hear another sermon. They want to see another healing. They're enthralled by that. But that's not being a disciple. A disciple is a fully, is a fully devoted learner and follower of Jesus who lives and walks as Jesus did. That's why in Matthew 28, it says, teaching them to observe all that I command you to do. And that word observe, to reo, we think observe. Oh, it means to listen. It means just to sort of observe. Look, that's not at all what tereo means. It's an active verb, which means uh, literally to conform one's action to. In other words, I'll just give you an illustration. So we're getting ready next week, next Sunday, God willing, next Sunday uh, for four weeks uh, in the third hour, which would be next hour. And I think room 106, I'm not sure we're going to do a, a four-week thing on the spiritual disciplines. 
Because if you're going to walk like Jesus, if you're going to live like Jesus, you need to train like Jesus. It's, it doesn't come from just looking. And I think in the baseball realm, I think of little kids. I've seen a thousand of them. Oh, no, more, way more than a thousand, probably 10,000. That they, they want to be like their favorite player. You know, if you if you want to hit like Jeff Bagwell, you know, you you know, you you have the stance. If you if it's like Barry Bonds, it's Barry Bonds. If it's if it's Craig, um, uh, not Cousins, but what's his name, Craig um, Council. Yeah, thank you, Craig Council. I mean, you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have a weird batting stance. You know, it's gonna be weird. It's gonna be different. And you see little kids imitating their heroes all the time. Get the right batting gloves. Get the right shoes. Have the right stance. Uh, but you know what? They'll never. They'll never be able to hit like a Bagwell or a Barry Bonds. They'll never be able to hit like a Rizzo with his particular you know, little wobble there, or you know, Zobrist, you know, with a little hand deal. And until you're ready to train like them, once you're ready to train like them, then there's the possibility of being able uh, to play like them. And it's the same way in our walk with Christ. You'll never be able to walk like Jesus until you train like Jesus. And so that's part of the Gospel of Mark, and that certainly is what we'll be covering for four weeks in our uh, spiritual disciplines thing that we'll start. It'll be Dave Foster, myself, and Andrew Hancock will be walking through that over the next uh, four weeks, third hour. Here's the challenge. The challenge is, in the story, who are you? Are you more like the Pharisees and the scribes? You know, you're wanting to sort of keep a, you've got your checklist, your Christian checklist, your ledger, uh, are you more like the crowd? Uh, you really, you just really, you like, you like to be entertained. <laughs> you like to hear a good message, a good podcast, read a good book, um, hear a good story about a healing. You like that, but you know what? You, you never really follow Jesus. You never really train like Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're, you're like the paralytic and you, you desperately need forgiveness. Or like Levi. I mean, you've, you've lived your life. You've gone through the, all the old paces. I mean, you were, grew up a believer, so to speak. But you've never gotten past go. Maybe it's time to turn around for you as well. Well, it's time for all of us. No matter where we are, it's time for all of us to meet the great physician. Let's all stand up and I'll close with prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time together. And I just pray, Father, that no matter where we are, whether we're the paralytic coming in there, we're just, we're, the tentacles of sin have just surrounded our hearts and our souls and our minds. And, and we, we need to hear from you. Uh, son, your sins are forgiven. And uh, if you're here and if that's you, just know that Jesus is saying that to you. And it's very real because he, as we will read at the end of Mark, he will go to the cross to die in your place so that the very righteousness of Christ can be credited to your account. No work of your own. It's freely as a gift, but not just to leave you there, but so that you could walk like Jesus as well. That's sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit he's calling you to. And whether it's a Levi and you've, you've had a, a Christian pass and it's time to get off um, and you want to speak to us, you are our great physician and it's upon you that we humbly trust.
We love you. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.